The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Good morning. I am very excited that you are here today. If you are new, welcome. My name is Ryan and I am your pastor. And this morning we are starting a new series in the book of Psalms. If you have never read the book of Psalms, it's likely that you have not opened a Bible because Psalms is the place where when you tell someone to open their Bible, it just falls to. Psalms is full of gritty and amazing prayers. The book of Psalms is full of people who say crazy things that if we just read them in a church service and didn't tell you it was from the Bible, you would think that somebody had lost their marbles. Things like, may the bones of my enemies be crushed into the dust. That is not something that pastors should pray. Although I do pray it now that I've read it. I pray it not for you, but for some people. And then I pray for forgiveness later because the Psalms are in the midst of a story. And as I looked at the Psalms, one of the things became very clear. I can't launch into a series on the book of Psalms if our perception and our idea of God's story is broken to begin with because the Psalms spans a large period of time. The majority of the Psalms, or actually not the majority, like 73 of the Psalms are written by King David. You know, the little guy, little rock, big guy dead. That guy, that David, wrote a lot of the Psalms. But some of the Psalms are written by Moses. Some of the Psalms are written by Solomon. Some of the Psalms are anonymous. And in order for us to understand and grasp and be hungered and create a thirst to read these psalms, I wanted today to get rid of some, what I believe are common misconceptions about what Christianity is. So I need you to pardon me. I've had so much energy this morning. Um, I, I normally don't eat a lot of breakfast, but I was getting the communion bread ready for this service because I baked the communion bread from scratch for you, my chapel family. Yeah, I'm super excited about it too, but I already ate about a third of a loaf, and then I had a monster, and then I had coffee, and, uh, and I'm just so excited because it's a new series, and bread, and monsters, and coffee, so I'm going to pray that God calms me down, because I feel like my inner nerd is rising up, and because I'm married to my wife, my wife is very cool, and I'm, I'm a nerd, but she dresses me most of the time, so I, I don't appear as nerdy, but today, I already feel my inner nerd like bursting from the seams, so I'm going to pray. And we're going to go to God's word. And we're starting a series in the Psalms. So you can put your uh, Bible, you can open it to Psalms chapter 1. Or this is going to sound weird. You can also go to Mark chapter 1. And it's going to make sense soon. Okay, let's pray. Oh God, I'm so excited. I, I, I can't wait, Lord. I pray, I pray, God, that every person that's here today would have a hunger and a thirst and a longing to know your story more after this morning's sermon, that we would be compelled, that we would be drawn into this massively cosmic, cataclysmic kingdom theology. Lord, help us to put away the weak theology that makes weak Christians and and weak Bible studies and weak passions and weak love. Help us, God, today to see your story in such grand scope that by the end of today, we're all going to leave here knowing better and feeling more empowered and knowing that you are in us to kick all of the hell out of our lives and out of this world. In Jesus' name, amen. I forgot to apologize. If you grew up in a church, I'm going to use the word hell a lot today. If this is your first time, you're like, oh no, is he one of those guys? Uh, I'm, I am and I'm not. Okay, we're just going to start. So I've been thinking about the Psalms, and, and I'm just going to read to you. Here's where I got stuck, because I, um, I, I was prepping. I'm like, okay, let's start with the, the first Psalm. 
Psalm 1. Oops, I went to Mark 1. Okay. We're, we're going to figure this out, you guys. Technology, we are friends. So this is what Psalm 1, verses 3. Nope. See, I'm still going to figure this out. I promise you. There we go. Psalm 1, the beginning of Psalms. Now, the Psalms are broken up into five books of the Bible. If you're not a Hebrew person, you don't see any relevance in this. But if you are a Hebrew person, you know that the Torah are the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. And the Psalms are broken up, likewise, into five books. If you look in your English Bibles, it'll say book one after some dozens of chapters, book two, book three, book four, book five. Now, Psalms 1 and 2 are actually the introduction to the whole book. And here's what it says. Uh, Can you guys see this? Okay, because my glasses, I need a new prescription, I think. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, here's where I got hung up as I prepared for this series. But his delight, his delight, his love, the way that some of you look at ice cream or cheesy gooey pepperoni pizza, that's delight, okay? I, I want to clarify that. You're going to be blessed if your delight is in the law or the Torah, the instruction of the Lord in on his law, God's law, we meditate day and night. So I, I thought, okay, Lord, I want to meditate on all of your instruction. And I want to make sure that as we read the Psalms, because uh, to be honest, I did read three books on the Psalms in the past week and a half. And the books that I read, nobody ever wants to read because it's books that are written by nerds for nerds to make you more nerdy. So, so that's why I'm trying to bring it all the way down. Goose fraba. Okay. But as I was thinking about this, God, if, if we don't get your story right, when we read the Psalms, we're going to get so many of the Psalms desperately wrong. And here's how I know that we don't get the story right, because I talked to people. I said, tell me what you think about Jesus. And I went to coffee shops, and I walked on the streets, and I harassed strangers, but not like the obnoxious Christian harassing where we're like, you're going to hell, not that guy. Just the guy that's like, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? What do you think of Jesus? What do you think of the church? What do you think the Bible is about? And I got some interesting responses. So, so here's the main one. They all boil down into this. Enter nerd, okay? I said, what is the Bible? What's the story of the Bible? People would say, well, there's an earth. And if you can't read this, don't worry, I'll leave it up. And, and God made it, and it was cool. And then here's our life, and here's me. Sorry, if you can't read my writing, it's because I was supposed to be a doctor, but I opted for a lower-paying job, um, Okay. So that's me. I mean, here I am. And we believe, most people believe, or they think that you believe this about life, that you're going to go at the end of your life to one of two places. What are they called? Heaven. And you all say that first. Why does nobody ever say hell first? Because we're not a Baptist church. Okay. Um, and hell. No, that's, I'm not, I'm, that's mean. I pick on the Baptist so much. I'll pick on somebody else. Okay. Uh, and here's what, what people think the Bible is about that God made earth and and you, and if you do enough good things and a few bad things, but more good things, and if you believe enough right things and you don't believe too many wrong things, that eventually the curtain closes on life, and then you get FedExed into heaven or hell, depending on if you've been good, bad, had right doctrine, wrong doctrine. Now, this is what I find that most people believe the Bible story is about. And some of you are thinking, that's that's what I believe. And, And I'm sorry but you're, you're going to run into a problem, and the problem is the Bible and the teachings of Jesus are not this. And some of you are thinking, uh-oh, because I've been right here, Pastor Ryan. You tell me to believe these good doctrines, and I believe them. Doesn't that mean that I get my stamp and I get shipped to heaven? Isn't that what the Bible's about? The problem with this is that there's, there's half-truths. 
and there's not the whole truth, and there's not really the big picture of what the Bible is actually about. Now, we're going to get to this in a little bit. Some of you are already thinking, what have you been drinking this morning? Only energy. Because in order to understand where we are, we have to know that when the Psalms come in, we are jumping in to a rushing river. We have cannonballed into a river current, and we are joining in the middle of the story. So as I ask myself, okay, if we're, if we're going to understand the Psalms, we have to understand two things. One, we have to understand kingdoms. Because the Bible, especially if you're a Jewish person, you know this, the Bible is about kingdoms. And the story of the Bible is not a story where me or you are the main characters. There is another main character, and he vastly overshadows us. If you can't figure out who it is, just blur your eyes and look gently behind me. Starts with a J, rhymes with Jesus. You got it? Okay. So I was meditating on his story. And then I started to think, here's why I want to uh, correct this. Because we, what we love, we want to tell people about and share. And when somebody has a bad uh, idea of something we love, we always defend it. Always. So, for example, I love burritos. Florida does burritos wrong. Um, the only right burritos are Southern California burritos. If there's not... Uh, guacamole in your burritos, you're doing life wrong. If there's not french fries in your burrito, you're missing out, but you will taste those burritos when God's kingdom of heaven is reunited with us, okay? (laughs) This is a a fact. And when people tell me, no, 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 you just only like Southern California burritos, I tell them, you are wrong, you have misdefined burrito. A burrito should not be wet. Burritos don't go swimming in a sauce, Although I will eat them, I just don't call them burritos. I call them oversized drowning enchiladas because that's what a tortilla with sauce is. So I'm always clarifying this, and and here's why I'm saying that for this, because this is wrong, and I'm only telling you because I love you, and if you're scared that I'm about to shatter your world, don't be, because the Bible tells us an amazing story that is vastly more good for you and for me than this silly narrative. So uh, I'm going to post a video later today on Facebook and the chapel webpage if you want to see that video, but I'm going to do a small version of this today. So here's a more accurate version of the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm glad. And I figured you would get that because most of us start a Bible reading plan and most of us make it through day one, okay? So so God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. And here's what it looked like. They overlapped. Now, heaven is God's space. Everyone say God's space. Earth is human space, or as they used to call it in the 90s, my space. Um, <laughs> that was a bad joke, okay. Uh, and in the Garden of Eden, for two pages, God's space and human space overlapped. This is why we read stories about how God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the morning. I cannot wait to do that one day, but something happened only on page three of the Bible, right? We call it the fall. And what happened in the fall is that Adam and Eve were there, and the sneaky serpent was there, and he said, take this fruit, you'll be like God. And that was the first time where a human said, I want to be in charge of my own space. So they took the fruit. Now, we call that sin in the church. And usually in the church, especially if you grew up in the church, sin is like the bad thing. You sin, bad, bad, bad. However, sin is so much vastly deeper and wired into our existence because when this happened, we were separated. When this happened, God's space became separate from human space. We were no longer overlapping. We were no longer able to walk with God and commune with God. And when this happened, the ultimate goodness of God, 
the things that are the most beautiful, we now have lesser versions. The relationships that were the most perfect and in harmony, we now have marriages that are broken and in pain. The children who would have been loving and obedient have now become um, sinners. So there's a problem. And this is the story of the Bible. We're on page three. Page three right here, because we've got the God space and the human space. Or we have the kingdom of heaven and then the kingdoms of men and women. So God said, I I love my creation. Because remember before page three, what did he say about his creation? God looked at it and said, it is very good. Now, you'll notice something already missing because these are two different these are two different things. Right now you're thinking, where is hell in, in your picture? Because hell is clear here, and as Christians, we are super fond of telling people different from us that they are maybe going to hell. And we try to scare people into heaven. And I, I just want to let you know up front, heaven is not a place for people who are terrified of hell, although hell is scary, but we're going to talk about that. Because we view these as destinations. But right now, as you sit here, the kingdom of God exists. It never stopped existing. They were simply separated. And then in the Old Testament, if you are a Jewish person or you love history, you know that there was a way that um, basically God would enter in and, and reconnect the kingdoms. But what happened was this. Our kingdom got filled with sin. I use red for sin. I don't know why. It just seems bloody to me. And God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create a system that's going to point to a greater system. And it was animal sacrifice, sheep, bulls, doves. You got the picture? And they would kill. And somehow, we don't know exactly how it works, the animal sacrifice would absorb some of the sin. And it would make it so that people could briefly enter into God's temple, briefly enter into his presence for a moment. But then something amazing happened. And this is the story of the Bible. And we have to know this. We have to get this right before we get to the Psalms. Otherwise, all the Psalms are going to sound so confusing. What happened was, somebody came, once again, not a trick question, Jesus. And he came and he made the bridge. Now, we've all seen those Bible tracks where there's a chasm of death and doom down to hell, and the cross is our bridge that we walk on. I always thought it was weird that we hand out things to people that say, hey, come to our religion, we trample on Jesus. Um, But it's kind of true, unfortunately. But Jesus did something amazing. He came here, and this is where we're going to pick up the story in Mark. Because I asked myself, what is the gospel of Jesus according to Jesus? And it was something very different from what I had originally thought. So here's what it says in the book of Mark. If you want to know what the good news of Jesus is, you should go to one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So this is the beginning. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So this is the beginning of the good news that there's already a story going on by the time Jesus arrives. There was already page one and two of this perfect harmony. And then the fall ripped this apart and hell began to unleash itself on our world. And then right now, we're at this part of the story with this verse. God says, behold, you're jumping into the story. You're jumping in midstream. The current is going to carry you somewhere. Where does it carry you? We have to ask ourselves, what is the good news of Jesus? Now, if I ask you this, all of the church people will give me a technically correct answer. I think you will say something like the good news of Jesus is that God came in the flesh, died for our sins and rose again. And you can have forgiveness through faith. All true things. That is 
I'm going to describe it this way. When you saw off a tree and you look at the stump, there's the rings, right? So that's looking at the theology from the rings. You could see some things about the tree's history and past and some of the themes of its life. But it's very, very different when you're looking at a stump of a tree and saying, oh, those rings are awfully nice and I'm going to study them and examine them. Then if you stand in front of one of the sequoias in California and you look up and it is the most massive living thing you've ever seen in your life. Now that's this bottom story to see where God's story is heading and here's what happens when Jesus comes on the scene and he is going to tell us what the good news is. This is after John, John the Baptist was arrested. This is only 13 verses later. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So this is Jesus proclaiming the good news. The gospel is just the word for good news and this is what he said. The gospel of God was the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Semicolon. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this is probably different than what we thought. We were waiting for, I'm going to live perfect, die for you, rise again. And he said, no, no, there's, there's a kingdom, and it is here. Now, this doesn't shock any of us, because as I keep saying, we are not Jewish people. Because right here, the kingdom separated. And God's kingdom could not intersect with our kingdom because we had said, God, we are going to be our own rulers. We are going to do things our own way. We are going to make our own rules. We all do this 100 times a day. So stay away, God. And, and sin and hellish things were unleashed on the world. So when Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is here, he was saying that his very person, who he is, he is the embodiment of God's kingdom recolliding with earth. Christianity is not about primarily how good or bad, how right-thinking or wrong-thinking you are. It is primarily about the fact that a God looked at the state of our existence, and because he loved his creation, because he loved his children, he said, I am going to break in. I'm going to put on human flesh, and I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to bring my kingdom because they will not make it to me, but I can make it to them. And when Jesus did this, it was so amazing Because he came and when he did the things that we talk about, he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died. He didn't stop there. He made it so now little pockets of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's used interchangeably in the gospels of Jesus, can now break into our sinful world. And sin begins to meet its match. Now here's what we don't see often. Every time Jesus healed a blind man, It wasn't just to be kind to that person because blindness is broken down biology. And Jesus said, I'm going to push the hell that is blindness out. Every time Jesus fed hungry people, hunger is a symptom of the fact that there is greed and there is um, unnecessary tragedies and natural disasters that wipe food out. So when Jesus broke bread, he wasn't just saying, I want to feed you, although he was, but he was also saying, the kingdom of God is like this. There is no more blindness. And I'm going to give you samples, sample here, sample there. I'm going to make bread for you. I'm going to steal a kid's lunchbox and just give it out to 5,000 people. This was him saying, this is my kingdom. And it is going to go into your kingdom, breaking in now. And I realize you probably can't see the red if you're way in the back, but it's going to begin erasing hell. Now, here's something that I was thinking about. The kingdom of God is not just for our whole creation, but for us as individuals. 
And in Christianity, it's very common to say, you know, invite Jesus into your heart. Now, that's not necessarily um, a a super biblical thing, but I'm going to tell you this. When Jesus does get into your heart, his sole mission is to kick the hell out of your heart. Did I say that wrong? No, I said that correctly. His sole mission, I'm going to say it with different emphasis, is to kick the hell out of your heart. Because I know that some of you grew up in the hood known as Fishhawk. So when I say kick the hell out of something, you're thinking just beat it really bad. But yes, Jesus moves into our lives and he sees the kingdoms now have collided. This is what Romans chapter 7 teaches us. And Jesus says, I am going to literally beat the hellish things out of you. Now, here's what I love when I share the good news of Jesus. Because I, I, I want to make this chapel grow. And I want to see people come to know him, but not this Jesus. So when someone says, yeah, I know what your Bible's all about. You know, do good, don't be mean, and then you'll go to heaven. Or if you're bad, you go to hell. And they'll, and they'll say something like, I'll say, yeah, do you want to believe in that Jesus? And they say, no. And I usually say, me neither. Because they're viewing hell and heaven as a destination. And, and it is, we're going to get to that. Because you're still asking the question, where's hell right here? And we're going to get there in the very end. But I, I want you to know that it's far less about a destination. And literally, if you read in, um, uh, Jesus' brother wrote a book of the Bible. We call it James. It's his half-brother. And it's, he talks about the tongue in James chapter 3. And he says the tongue is an evil thing, and it is, it is causing destruction, and it is set on fire by hell itself. And wherever we speak unkindness, wherever we speak gossip, whenever we slander somebody, whenever we yell angrily at somebody, we are actually lighting our lives on fire with hell fire. Human beings, unfortunately, have the propensity and ability to create pockets of hell through what we say and what we do. We've seen this, right? If I I could say one thing, like news, the Las Vegas shooting was somebody unleashing hell on earth. Jimmy Kimmel, he doesn't get a lot of things right except for mean tweets. I think he does that well. Um, But he said something that is so true. It feels like someone has opened a window from hell into our world. And the the truth behind that statement is terrifying because that someone is me and you. And we may not be doing it in the same way that the shooter did it. But in a hundred ways every day, we are inviting hell into our lives. And humanity, with the push and nudge of the spiritual beings of darkness, have created in this kingdom hell on earth. Which is why when Jesus said, I want you to pray, you pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. Isn't that prayer making so much more sense now? Because before it's like, wait a second. Do we want, I don't know, heaven, hell, earth? Do we want Jesus to come down? Is that what that means? It does mean that, but it means so much more. It means that we want God's kingdom of goodness, love, and beauty, and truth to collide with our kingdom. And he did that in Jesus. And then he puts his spirit in you so that you can begin to expel hell out of your life. So um, I don't want you to hear me wrong, but literally, if you're a parent, your job is to, this is going to sound so wrong, beat the hell out of your kids. Uh, I don't It sounds wrong, but it feels right, okay? If you're abusive, that didn't mean what you heard. It means... There is hell within your children, and your job as a parent is to guide them 
to see Jesus, know Jesus, love Jesus, delight in Jesus, so that the hell gets squeezed out of them. Now, is a good a time as any to, to tell you guys that I am committed to seeing this church grow, not because I love numbers. I don't like numbers. I would rather be a small family church, but we're already breaking fire code in the back, and we are going to two services on October 29th, and I'm committed to leading people to Jesus, but also, as I've told you before, we are either going to grow this church by breeding or leading people to Jesus. Um, so my wife and I, we are adding one more to the chapel children's ministry. Super excited. Yeah. Yeah, you know what you're all clapping for? Now I have four kids to beat the hell out of. We could do a slow Rudy clap and just kept building up to it. I'm so excited, though, because now when my kid is born, and even right now, I've already prayed for all of my kids' spouses, especially Savannah's. God bless him, whoever he is. Um, and, and now I get this, this paradigm where I get to say, okay, when you're born, I want to teach you to love Jesus the same way that you say I love ice cream and I love toys. My kids right now, they still get more excited. If I told them after church service today, I said, hey, we're going to go to Toys R Us and you can buy whatever you want. They would just be like as happy as the Hercules move. Hercules, Hercules. And if I said, hey, we're going to go home and just read the word of God. Uh, my kids would be like, oh, dad, oh, kill me now. I was like, I'm going to kill the hell that said that. <laughs> this is the story of God. Now you say, where'd the hell go? Now here's what happens. In the same way that God's love overflowed and made creation. God is an overflow being. He is who he is. We are finite. He is infinite. And God simply can't help but be who he is. So when God saw the problem of hell and sin, he said, I can't even be there because if I just move my space back on their space, it will obliterate their space. If I just say, boom, I win because his kingdom is bigger, vaster, and more eternal. So he sent Jesus. Now what happens is this, and this is the scary part, and we're going to get to this as we finally are going to read the Psalms, and it's 1046. Um, when God, through Jesus, began to make a, a way to push the hell out of our lives, because everyone agrees with this. No one that I talked to said, yeah, what happened in Las Vegas was good. No, it was evil. It was hellish, and none of us want it. They're looking to something else to redeem them. They're looking to particular laws or particular rules or governments or, or whatever. I'm looking to Jesus to move hell out of the world, but what happens is that at the culmination of history, whenever that is, could be today, tomorrow, or the next week, Hell is going to be pushed all the way out, and hell is going to be down here. And hell is going to be the place, and I don't understand why God does this, but God says, I love my people, and some people aren't going to choose me. And I'm waiting. I'm so patient. And I I sent Jesus, and I, I gave them books, so many copies of the book, and I want them to know that this is my story. And, uh, and at the end, after I've been patient for so many millennia, I'm, I'm going to reunite heaven and earth. The, this that we started with is also on the last two pages, but it's in that moment that all the people that, that chose to not follow God, God says, I've waited and I gave you everything that I could, and now I'm going to honor your decision to, to follow self-centeredness, pride, and selfishness. I'm going to let you be in the hell that you created and lit on fire. So this is the great story of God. And it, it takes my breath away. This is why I read the Bible, to see God's tremendous love and patience for me. So here's the Psalms, the introduction to the Psalms. If you don't get the kingdom 
collisions and God moving in and then loving us so radically. This won't make sense. Blessed, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Happy is the man who doesn't let the hell of this world be unleashed on his or her life. Happy is the man who says, I know that there's evil in me. There's got to be something to redeem me. There's got to be something to save me, to change me. This is why the Psalms are so gritty. Here's what it's like if you plant yourself, if you delight in God's law. You're like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked will be driven away eventually, but God is so patient. I want to be like this tree that bears fruit in its seasons and its leaves do not wither. I know that psalm doesn't make sense to us in Florida because we're like, leaves withering? Weird, what's that? Um, In other parts of the country, there are seasons. There are four of them. The favorite season of human females, it seems to be fall, which I've always found odd in Florida because sometime between today and like December, I'm going to see some of you with a hot pumpkin spice latte with hot Ugg boots and a hot scarf, and it's going to be a hot 80 degrees outside. <laughs> and I know that you're, what you're doing is you're wishing fall into existence, but unfortunately for you, you are not God. <laughs> and your scarf, pumpkin, latte drinking selves will not usher in cooler weather. Go see Dennis Phillips for the report. Okay. But this is This is what the Psalms are about because there's a wicked kingdom and God's kingdom is colliding and here's where it's going to come together even more. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. At the point of judgment, that's when God says, I've waited for thousands of years and I've tried to call my people to me. I put Bibles in every single hotel in America for 200 years, but people ignored it because cable and they will not stand in the judgment. Nor will sinners, people that choose to say, I follow myself, nor nor will they stand with the Lord. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, if you go by this story, this psalm turns into a moralistic framework. Be good or you will die. I could do that voice, see? I should have been a preacher of another denomination. But if you see this verse in, in that, our righteousness, and we know as the Bible story goes on, because this is Psalms' is mid-Bible story. As the Psalms go on, we realize we are actually not righteous. It's only through Jesus that we can be considered good. Only by faith in him, and he is relentlessly chasing us, pursuing us to give us himself. And we relentlessly are saying, no, not now. And here's where it gets crazy, because this is the other half of the introduction to the Psalms. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. So this is saying the kings of the earth, human kingdom, God kingdom, they're taking aim and rage at God saying, we don't want you, God. We don't want your anointed because this is mid-story. The anointed person is Jesus. And they say this, and this is exactly what people say just in modern English when I tell them about Christianity. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The paraphrase of that is, religion ties me down. Religion is not fun for me. Religion is too many rules and restrictions. And that's what that's saying. The kings of the earth said, we don't want God's way, we want our way. And God eventually will say, if you want your way enough, I'm going to give it to you because I, I honor you and, and 
and I created you to have this capacity. So, the story goes on. Oh, man, this is just too intense for me, you guys. Verse 4 to 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. This sounds mean, like a Mr. Smithers laugh. The Lord holds them in derision. He's contempt. He's angry because he wants them to come back. But he's angry. He's like, why are you doing this? Like when my kids do something foolish, I get angry, but it doesn't mean I'm not loving them. I'm angry because I love them so much. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God is setting up a king who will reign, who will rule, who will eventually come in and take over and unite the kingdoms. This is what God is doing. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. This is God prophesying through the psalm writer that there is a Messiah who's going to come, there is a king who's going to come, and he is going to make right what sin and death and hell and evil have made so very wrong. Ask me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. These are pieces of old prophecy in the book of Genesis and the Torah that are being tied in now. That someone's going to come and rule with an iron scepter. That they're going to come be the king over everything. The psalmist is saying, in this book of 150 gritty, beautiful, tear-filled, laugh-filled, joy-filled poems, look for the Messiah. This is what the psalmist is setting up for us. And then he says this to close out the introduction to the Psalms. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Kiss is something you do when you love somebody, right? Um, Like if I just came down into the crowd and I just planted one on somebody. Hopefully, if you don't know me, you would be like, I sure hope that's his wife. Um, or like my mom, if I kissed my mom or my grandma. But if I just walked down and I just laid a wet one right on Steve Baker's head, I mean, what would you think? Like, he must really like bald people. I mean, you're not all the I'll be there one day. Okay. Um, but you would think I probably know him. You would think I probably care for him. This morning I was... um. I was, I was feeling very affectionate because I feel very loved. So I was hugging everybody that came in early. So if you didn't get here early, good. And you don't want to hug me now because I've been preaching and these lights are hot. But everyone that came in, I was like, I love you so much. God loves you. You're a child of God. And you should have seen the little four-year-olds that I told that to. I, I look at the kids. You are a daughter of the king of the universe. He is chasing you with his love. He's never going to let you go. And this little kid's like, okay, thank you. You know? And I'm like, don't, don't you get it? Because here's... What happens? You will only love and kiss the son when you understand how loved and kissed you've been by the son. You will only love others and have the hell purged from you when you yourself have come to an understanding that there is a massive story that we jump into the middle to and it's full of God's love drenching you and us resisting and him saying, you resist, I'm going to come harder, I'm going to love more. And that's why it says this in the very end of this verse, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled, but, this is the end of the psalm introduction, blessed, happy, are all who take refuge in him. And then, the book of Psalms begins. 
there are too many people in here who, who have viewed God as a ticket to get to heaven. And we don't understand this concept of refuge. We don't understand this concept of delighting in God. We know delighting because we are humans and it's part of our experience. Did you know the reason that you delight over everything, anything at all is because God created you to find ultimate delight in him and we try to stuff that delight with other things? When it says kiss the sun, it's saying approach God with a greeting that is warm and personal. You've heard the saying before, Christianity is about a relationship, not a religion. This is about a, a religion And this is about a relationship where God wanted so desperately and dearly to relate to you that he sent his son to die, to live the fullest human life, and yet in the midst of him living the fullest human life possible, he was the one ultimately condemned for you and for me. And until you get that, you won't understand when the Bible says, kiss the son, love Jesus. And I get it. It's weird. If you're a male in here, Like me, when I came to Jesus for the first time, I was 17 years old, and I thought it was weird how so many people were singing to Jesus in this very relational, sappy sort of way. Because I I was this big, actually I was a lot bigger when I was 17, because In-N-Out Burger, but um, I remember sitting there thinking, who are all these people that are guys that I've played basketball with and hung out with and, and gone skating with, and they're singing a song called Jesus the lover of my soul, Jesus, you'll never let me go. And I thought, Jesus, the lover of my soul. Back then I thought, that is weird. I'm here to find girls. But now, when that song comes on, now when someone says, you've got to love Jesus, for me it's not a, like, yes, in my head I say I love Jesus. I know, I just love him so much, I can't get enough of him. And I'm hoping that as you press into the Psalms and the story, you'll realize that we don't have to pretend anymore because these psalmists, they write some crazy stuff. But until you get this story right, until you stop thinking of heaven and hell as these far distant places, but rather these, this collision of kingdoms and one day God's going to purge all of evil and it's going to be cast into the hell that was created by their rebellion against God, and he can't help but to do that because it's the, the natural consequence and overflow of his love for those who do turn to him. Until you get that whole part of the story, the Psalms will just sound like complaining people, scared people, doubtful people. Until you get the fact that God's story is him pursuing you and chasing you, so much of what you do will be either I did good so God loves me or I did bad so now there's guilt and shame upon me. Rather than what the actual gospel of Jesus is, that you and I... We are train wrecks of human beings. We have doubts and fears. We are scared. We're scared about our kids. We're we're fearful about the, the place of our marriage or the state of our finances. We're scared what other people will think about us. We live under this immense pressure until we understand that God sees you right there in the midst of your mess, and he says, that's why I sent Jesus. Then the Psalms won't make sense to you. We have to understand that God is bringing his kingdom into this world. And not only did he bring it in through Jesus, he now has put that power in you. So you, when you open your trap today, can speak heaven or speak hell to your friends or your spouse or your children. My prayer for you today 
is that you would take refuge in him if you have not. I, um, I, I don't mean come and say a prayer. I don't mean give your life uh, to Jesus like this flippant decision. I mean, if you recognize that your life is in such shambles and you need a safe place, Jesus says, I am here and I will never leave. A refuge is a place of total security, more security than money can offer, more security than family can offer. God's refuge is a refuge of love where there is a relationship. You can continue to bring hell into this world, but I am on a mission, and I'm, I'm very anti-church t-shirts, but I love um, saying hell in a sentence for Christians, if you don't know this. It's like a level two curse word, right? So Christians, we rank curse words. We have level ones, which I won't even give you the first letter because one of my children is present. Um, We have level twos, and hell is one of them. As a pastor, if I walked over to Cool Beans and I looked at someone and said, hey, I'm going to beat the hell out of you, they would be scared or not, depending if they were like an MMA person or a police officer. By the way, I wouldn't say that to someone in Florida because guns, okay? Um, But... But, but, but I want to get something about that because I, I want to parent the hell out of my kids. I want to love the hell out of my wife. I want to delight in God's word so much that he, and I can see how he is loving the hell out of me. People have asked me, what do you think about the shooting? What should we do? This, this, and that. And I, I think, I'll tell you wh- where we should start. We should start by the fact that we have to recognize we have been trying to create our own kingdom of sin, and we've been resisting God's kingdom, even within the church. And we need to say, God, I surrender. Lord, purge me from this. Help me to get off of my throne, take off my crown, and give that to you. And then the Psalms, when you read these things, because people are screaming at God. People are angry at the kingdom of humans. Crush them, God. And God says, no, I'm going to crush a different thing. I'm going to crush the hell out of them because I still love this world and these people. So what we see as united, God says, I I, I know a way to purge the hell out. And that's what he is doing. Take your refuge in him today. Um, Let me pray, and then we're going to do this, this thing. God, there are people in here who have not taken a refuge. They are making every excuse in their mind to be the king or queen of their own kingdom. I pray that they would, at least for the sake of reason, understand that that our racism, that the adultery, that the sex slavery, that those things are all rooted in humanity unleashing hell on this earth. And you hate those things so much that you sent Jesus, who is going right to the heart of us. Help me, God to turn from the pockets of hell in my life. Purge hell from me so that I seek you, love you, live for you, and make my life all about you and do the same for those in this room. God, there are many people in here today, religious, irreligious, exploring, closed off. Let 
let your kingdom break into their minds and hearts as we talk about this table that we will celebrate. In Jesus' name.